there any others that came to mind? So good to see all of you. How you doing? Can you believe we're in the middle of June? <laughs> School will be starting. It'll be Christmas. Amen. Praise God. How's that Christmas shopping coming for you? Oh, it's good to see Ed and Lindsay uh, on a brief stop as they as they've been a boy. What a what a journey they've been on since first uh, of May. So and it isn't over yet. So keep praying for them as they travel and others who are traveling. I know the Parmenters are down in uh, in Berlin or down in Dallas seeing uh, uh, Tyler. So I'll be praying for them and their journeys and uh, our church camp. Uh, congratulations to Miranda. Her uh, club team won the state championship going to regionals in Louisiana, Baton Rouge. Sister, sister can tell you, she can tell you what not to eat, so <laughs> check, check on that. So uh, that's awesome. And Marlo's team also won their, their, their age group. So now where do they play regional? Oh, they don't? Oh, well, they're, they're too young? Well, what's that all about? Okay. Everybody's afraid of them. Okay. But praise the Lord for that. And uh, just glad to see all of you this morning. Hold your Bibles up. I'm a child of God, having my hand, powerful Word of God, can change lives, heal broken hearts, save man's soul. Here's our prayer, Lord Jesus, today. Speak to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, reach over there and hug your neighbor. Or high five them. All right. All right. Scott, you need a hug? Everything good? Right. He's already got him. All right. It's good to see Allie here from Hastings, Nebraska. She's got her driver's permit. That's just not right. That's just not right. She's, but pretty soon she'll be able to have her own car, and then she can just drive down here all the time, right? Nah. <laughs> all right. Praise the Lord. In our series, Directions for Life, uh, last week we dealt with the first chapter of Ephesians. We're in the book of Ephesians for all six uh, weeks, but uh, and we, we are chosen... To be God's children. That's really the overriding thought process in chapter 1. And uh, today I want to start by telling you that we are saved by God, from God, and for God. Today we're going to talk about I'm saved. And that's uh, salvation. I'm saved is a concept that's really misunderstood and we, we toss it around flippantly. Because, you know, people will say, well, I'm saved, man, I'm saved, I'm saved. And yet they may not look like they're saved or may not act like they're saved. You know, we miss the beauty of that salvation process. I think we, we get too, too uh, uh, immune to it. Because there's really something that is super spiritual going on when somebody finds God. Amen? You, can you remember the day that you did that? Can you remember it? It was January 31st, 1970 for me. It was a Saturday morning at 10.30 in the morning. preacher woke me up to talk to me about the Lord on a Saturday morning. I thought I'd get him because he wanted me to come on Sunday. And I said, oh, no, no, no. I don't go in front of people to do very many things. Now look what I do. But uh, so I thought I'll just, I said, well, how about today? And he said, okay. I went, no, you're not supposed to say okay. You're, only, you're supposed to say you can only do it on Sunday. But I guess Saturday worked out okay. But, you know, we get, uh, we kind of miss the beauty of what salvation does. And watching that person for the first time feel those burdens lifted, that sin forgiven. Well, that's, that's an awesome time, isn't it? 
We need to understand that salvation begins with accepting that salvation is initiated, provided, and and maintained by Almighty God. God generates salvation, and man is simply the recipient of that equation. And we're powerless to do anything to save ourselves. Romans chapter 5 and verse 6 says, You see, just at the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. First and foremost, then, we must accept that we are saved by God. He does it, not us. Now, to really understand salvation, we must ask, what are we saved from? Ask the average Christian that question and you'll get a variety of answers. Probably some of them will be sin, death, Satan, hell, maybe myself. I'm being saved from myself. And you can just keep on the list going on and on and on. But the reality is that we are saved by God from God. All the power and authority rests with God. He is in complete control. We do not have the power to choose hell, nor can Satan throw you into hell. There's a good one. Satan can't throw you into hell. Did you know that? Here's how I know it. In Luke chapter 12 and verse 5 it says this, But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after the killing of the body, has power to throw you where? Into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear Him. (coughs) The problem with our world today, and especially in America, is that we've lost the fear of God. We need to fear Him. (coughs) Now, there's that reverential fear of just how big and awesome He is. But there's this, this is a real verse here, folks. Jesus is telling you, don't fear Him who can kill your body kill him who fear him who can kill both body and soul and put it in hell well how can a loving god put me in hell who chose who chose to go there you want to answer that who chose to go there we choose because we are creatures of free will are we not you get to choose whether you're going to spend eternity in heaven Or where you're going to spend all the rest of eternity in hell. You decide. You decide. And that's what we're talking about through this book of Ephesians. But you might ask why. Why are we saved? We are saved for God. Again, we're saved by God, from God, and for God. We're purchased through the blood of Christ at Calvary. And we're no longer our own because of that purchase. We are saved so that we might live for God as His body. He saves us. That's what I love. He saves us because He desires us. Can you imagine that God desires to spend time with you and me? He does. We have a hard time spending time with each other. And yet God 
The God of the universe, the God of creation, wants to, He desires to spend time with us. That's awesome. So in the second chapter of Ephesians, Paul goes into great lengths in explaining the nature of this great salvation that we have enjoyed and that we do enjoy. God wants us to understand what He has done for us because His actions deeply demonstrate that the vast magnitude of that love that He has for us. So let's dive into Ephesians 2 and learn more about this great salvation. Pray with me, though, before we begin. Father, I thank You for this time, and as we open Your Word, speak to us. Speak to us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking in verses uh, 1 through 10 in chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles that you held up, open those to Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to go through here. And I want to break down these verses rather than read them all at once and then do it. I'm just going to break them down as we go along. I want to start with verse 1 and verse 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. Would you underline that in your Bible? Highlight it, circle it. That phrase, used to live. When you followed the ways of this world and, their rule, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Without Christ, if you are not in Christ, you're dead. And without His grace, you're dead. Death is not what we think in this particular context. When we think of death, <clears throat> we think of funerals, soft music, Everybody crying, boxes of Kleenex, little a little service where we sit down and we then we all come up and view the body in the casket. And that all goes on for about 30 minutes. We bury the box, we go home, we have a potluck and share some potato salad. That's what we normally think of when you think of funerals. Biblically, death is when someone sins just like in the garden of eden when they disobeyed god it separated them from god their sin separated them did god not love them anymore no he loved them you sin i sin we all sin but god still loves us in the midst of our sin why because of calvary why because Jesus paid the ultimate price so that we could be restored in that relationship. That perfect fellowship with God. Adam and Eve broke it when they sinned. And, and God had to remove them from the perfect paradise that they were experiencing. And so we see that death is when a person is separated from God because of their sin. You were dead in your transgressions, he says in verse 1. And the Greek word for that phrase is peritonoma. And it means to step out of bounds. To step out of bounds. You ever done that when you're playing sports? You, you make the shot of your life only to have it called off. Why? Your foot was on the line. <laughs> or over the line. You were out of bounds. Romans 4.25 says it this way, He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for what? 
our justification. Our justification. He was delivered over, sent to prison, condemned to death for our stepping out of bounds. It was our fault, but He paid the price. Now make no mistake about it, apart from Christ, we're all dead. We must understand that sin separates us from God. And it brings death. And it's completely logical and it makes sense. God is perfect. There can be no imperfection in Him. And so as long as we are separated from God, we are dead. But I want you to think about something. When we are children, we're dying to be a teenager. When we're teenagers, we're dying to turn 16 to get our license. When we get our license, we're dying to turn 18. And when we turn 18, we're dying to turn 21 to get out on our own. And when we turn 21, we're dying to get a job. When we get a job, we're dying to get married. And when we get married, we're dying to have kids. And we have kids and we're dying to get them out of the house. And we get them out of the house and then we're dying to retire. And when we retire, we're dying for grandchildren. Then one day you wake up and realize that you're simply dying and all of your life you've been dying instead of living. We need to live. And we need to carry that same thought process into our spiritual life. We crave a sinful nature. There are cravings within our sinful nature. When I tell myself long enough that I can't have something, I tend to crave it. Any of you struggle with that? Like ice cream. I tell myself, I can't have ice cream. Can't have it, can't have it, can't have it. No, no. Time out. It's a cross on the show. Hold up the cross so it'll burn. And then you drive by bronze. Why is it that in my journey that day I had to go by bronze? And when you go by bronze, they've got these pictures. And the pictures, they're just not right. They're, they're from hell themselves. I guarantee you those pictures are. But thank God for frozen yogurt. So I can get a little bit of the sensation, a little bit of the taste, and not go too overboard. But this hand right here is wanting to order butter brickle. <laughs> this hand right here. Or chocolate chip. Or anything. So there's cravings. James 1.15. I love it. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. There is a very difficult concept at times to grasp this particular one. Because we tend to view life only from the physical standpoint. Life is for us is generally defined by a heartbeat measured with time. For an eternal God who is outside of time and the limitations of a physical life, there is so much more. When we follow the ways of this world, or we live, if you can call it that, by the perimeters of time and space, in all actuality we are dead, because without Christ we have no hope. Without hope and without God, there's a Greek word called nekros. You were walking dead, is the idea of nekros. I read a story of two brothers growing up and one of them got in trouble and the other one said, man, you are a walking dead man when dad gets home. Any of you understand that one? Something about the fear, fear of dads. Now, you don't, I don't know if you have that now anymore because you can't, uh, if you whip your kid, then they'll arrest you. So 
or DHS will come in and take them away. Now that's got some possibilities. That particular one has some possibilities. I figure if they want them that bad, we can have them. But each breath takes us closer. If you'll stop and think about it, if we're outside of Christ, every breath we take takes us inevitably closer to death itself. If the physical is all there is, then by default we're just really living for death. I heard somebody the other day put it this way. When a baby comes from the mother's womb and breathes for the first time life outside the womb, they begin the dying process. That's depressing, isn't it? Except if you have Christ. If you have Christ. In fact, in just a little bit, we're going to leave our service here and a lot will go to lunch somewhere. Some may go to the store. But when you do that today, I want you to open your eyes a little wider. And I want you to see the hundreds of dead people that you will see today. Dead people driving cars, walking, shopping, eating. Some are breathing. <laughs> Hopefully they all are. Some have eyes that are blinking, hearts that are beating. But in essence, without Christ, they are walking dead people. Verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature, underline this, objects of wrath. So the thought process here in verse 3 is, is that we're an object of wrath. I don't think I mentioned what it was in the first, in verses 1 and 2, is that we're dead. The thought focus there is, is that we're dead. And verse 3 is that we're an object of wrath. God's righteousness will consume and burn every impurity. His perfection will remove all that's imperfect. Malachi 3 describes God as a refiner's fire, burning away the impurities. And one day, one day God will restore everything into its proper order, and all that's not pure will be removed. By nature, impurities and imperfections will be the object, objects of God's wrath. That's not a picture of a vengeful, vindictive God. It is simply God doing what God does. And if we maintain a sinner's identity, we are impure, imperfect, objects of wrath, God will have no choice but to separate us. So we need to make sure that we are finding our identity in Christ Jesus. Now speaking of it, verse 4. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace, underline that, circle it, highlight it, <clears throat> it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the in incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. God's great love drives Him to intervene on our behalf. God takes drastic action, pours out His mercy upon us, lifts us out of the pit of darkness, 
God's grace seats us with Christ and we become co-heirs with Him. Notice that nothing can compare with the riches found in God's grace. It says it's incomparable. Nothing that this world can offer comes close. Sometimes seekers will ask, why should I give up all my todays for the hope of a distant tomorrow? They want to know why they should give up what the world has to offer for the possibility of a future heaven. And really the message is that the world seems to hear from the church is that we're simply living for death. That's all, they, that's all they're hearing from. Living, uh, that's what they're hearing from us. As soon as you die, you get to go. And, that, and, and what that translates is that salvation occurs when we die and we go to heaven, at least in the world's eyes. But the truth is, salvation is right now. It's at hand. Eternity begins today. We're objects of grace. We're saved. We live now. Heaven is at hand. We are now seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, we're told. Going beyond time and space so that we establish God's kingdom on earth. Heaven on earth. Salvation is not living to die. It's about dying to live. Amen. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. There's a great two phrases to underline. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. By grace, look at this, by grace you have been saved. It's past tense. Paul says it twice in Ephesians 2 to emphasize it. When we place our faith in Christ, it has already been done. We don't earn it. We don't earn it. Salvation is not an entitlement. One can never be good enough. And without grace, our fate is sealed. But Jesus interceded. Amen? Paid the price for us. Hebrews 10, 14. Because by one sacrifice he has, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In other words, it has been done. And it was done by His sacrifice. Perfection is the standard and nothing short of that will measure up. We will never achieve perfection. It is un- unachievable because of sin. <coughs> now let me back up and say, you can be perfect. We're in fact we're encouraged by Jesus to be perfect, even as the Father in heaven is perfect. But we've just got this little thing running through us called sin. We've got this little thing running through us called the flesh. And for some reason, we keep giving in to the flesh. Or am I the only one? Do I have any any friends out there? <laughs> yeah. I was hoping somebody would raise their hand. Thank you, Brother Brian. We'll go down together. <coughs> the rest of these are perfect, Brother. You know, glory to God. His, uh, his lightning strikes 100% on the spot. You're supposed to laugh. Thank you, Brother Don. Nice manufactured laugh. Felt like a laugh track on, on, a car, on, a, on an ad. John 14. Jesus said, can you, can you quote it? I am the It's nice to have it on the screen, isn't it? <laughs> I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through me. 
That is an exclusive statement. Jesus is saying to the world, you can't get there without me. You can't get there by Muhammad. You can't get there in any other form or fashion. You can only get there by a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's it. You can try everything else, but it won't work. Just because the gift is given, however, does not mean that it's been received. We receive grace through faith. But what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And I fear that many have missed salvation because of misplaced hope. It's tempting for gospel presentations to take the make make a, all of your wildest dreams come true approach. Here's the spiel. Hey, you come to Jesus, all your problems disappear. Hey, come to Jesus and your relationships will all be healthy. Come to Jesus and you'll never get sick. Come to Jesus and your finances will be secure. Come to Jesus and you will be blessed. Problem is, they never define what blessed is. And so people have their own conceptions of what blessed is. And it gets discouraging with what they expect and hope those blessings from God will give. And God doesn't give it. But God gives a salvation that is by Him, from Him, and for Him. Salvation is access through being sure of our hope and certain of what we can't see. Hope must be in the eternal things of God. And as followers of Jesus, we should expect to live lives like Jesus lived. The apostles, they were martyred. What have you done lately for God? <laughs> it's time to stop nonsensical preaching. The pseudo-social feel-good gospel that's void of power. We have a gospel of salvation that is based on a hope that will never spoil, fade away, or perish. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Underline that phrase, for the joy set before Him. I'll write that down on your outline by that verse. The joy set before Him. What joy? What joy is there at the cross? He looked forward and saw the day that you and I would name Him as our Savior. That was the joy for Him. Isn't that awesome? It's awesome. Jesus is our hope. Be sure of Him. Certain of what He's done. Receive salvation today and live. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And the focus in this verse is that I'm prepared to do good works. Now you might say, well, preacher, you just said that we're saved by grace and not by works. And now we're supposed to be doing good works. <laughs> I'm confused. Really? I hope I cleared up. Works... Don't produce salvation. But salvation will always produce work. 
Works don't produce salvation, but salvation will always produce works. I'll hold off one more time. I'll hold off one more time. And all God's people say, come on, (laughs) mercy. It's impossible to be saved and not see evidence. We've got too many Christians, and I'll put quotation marks around it for you, Christians who sit every Sunday, hear sermon after sermon after sermon, but the rest of their life, they worry about everything. They can't control anything. And they're, oh my goodness, they fall apart at the, at the drop of a hat. Are you saved or not? Is God really in you or not? And if He, oh, all your problems are going to go away when you come to Christ. No. It seems like they, seem like they are accentuated. <laughs> Why is that? It's because Satan lost you. He's going to try to get you back. So he's going to discourage you. I spent time this week talking to somebody who was in that very position. About two hours. Man, we opened the Bible. We read and read and read and read and read. And finally God laid on my heart Romans 7. And I got the person reading Romans 7 and they just started crying. Because Romans 7 is a tough passage to understand. But I said here in a nutshell what he's saying is what I want to do is what I'm not doing. And what I don't want to do is what I am doing. And then he finishes it by saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God through my job that I make six figures. Thanks be to God that that new car I just got. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Thank God for my wonderful family. They're godly people. Who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. (laughs) What you do reflects who you are. We are saved for God. We are His workmanship created in Christ to do good works. Now I want to talk a little bit about that. I'm going to sit down while I talk to you about this. So, what can you do to get to heaven? Absolutely nothing. Oh, but preacher, man, I, I taught Sunday school and I worked with the, with the little kids. Awesome. Oh, preacher, listen, man, I, you know, I, I'm part of, a, I'm part of a, a, a ministry team at the church. And, well, you know, we, we plan and we do that. I, I mean, that's awesome. Well, well preacher, I, you know, I go on these trips with these kids and I sleep on the floor and I sleep in the bag. Oh, my God. That's great. Preacher, I've been an elder and a deacon in the church and I've I've done it for years. and That's awesome. Occasionally, preacher, I've even preached. Whoa. Whoa. Preacher, I... You fill in the blank. Because see, all that stuff that you're doing ought to be driven by an attitude of gratitude. Because I'm saved, because He saved me, I can't do enough. I can't do enough. Because my salvation should produce good works. Fruit of the Spirit ought to be blowing out of me. Amen? I don't get that, preacher. Galatians 2. I mean, Galatians 5, 22. 
Those fruit of the Spirit, nine of them ought to be blowing out of us as believers. It ought to be happening all over us. And you ought to get up and do more. Well, I just, I just, I, 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 I just, I, I, we got all kinds of reasons why we can't. Get up and do it. Well, I used to. Don't talk used to. Get up and do it. There's letters that need to be written. There's phone calls that need to be made. There's encouraging words that need to be shared. But it's a lot easier to get a cup of coffee and... Oh, well. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3 says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore... I love this passage. To what we have heard, so that we do not... What's it say? What? Drift away. Does that indicate that if we neglect what we've heard, it's not going to have the same effect on us somewhere down the road? <laughs> ah. There's four things that... Well, let me finish this. So that we don't drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received is just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. Four things that have to happen if you want your life to grow in Christ. You've got to encounter God every day through His Word and through prayer. Every day. Not once a week. Not a couple times a week. Every day, encounter God through, through His Word, through prayer. Thirdly, you need to, don't forsake the assembling together. Hang out with believers. It rubs off on you. Amen? I like to, go to, I like to hang out with people that like buffets. I went, I went into the Golden Corral Buffet a few, a few weeks ago. Just because I hadn't been in so long and I just, I, 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 you know, that craving stuff. And Cindy and I were having lunch, and I, and I asked her, I said, Honey, look around. Are there any skinny people in here? <laughs> there aren't any skinny people in the buffet. Have you noticed that? Not one of us was skinny. I could, there's some that were bigger than me, and I was, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> Hang around those that are believers in the number four. Give it away. Share the gospel. Encounter God through the word and through prayer. Hang out with Christians. Consistently be there. That's why you don't need to miss church. You don't miss church. Number four, give it away. Tell people about it. Encourage them. So what's your identity? What are you? Are you saved? What direction is your life taking as the worship team comes to help me close, Paul closes it well in chapter 2, verse 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but what? Say it out loud. Fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus Himself as the chief cornerstone. The great news is we used to be this way, but now through Christ, we're this way. Is that an amen? That should be a glory hallelujah. Amen. Father, I ask you this morning that we would truly consider where we are, what we are, why we are. 
And God, I pray that people will understand that we are saved by you, from you, and for you. And God, that we'll understand that your salvation being given to us and purchased through the blood of your son Jesus should produce in us blessings and works of ministry. God, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning that doesn't know you in a personal way, that they'll come to you so that that separation can be removed. Sin separates us from you. And as long and Father, we can go to church until we're blue in the face. We can go, we can we can say we're a believer until we're blue in the face. We can say we're saved, but God, if we're not producing anything, what good was that salvation? So Father, I pray that if there's those here this morning that need to repent and return to their first love as you told the church in Laodicea, may they choose to do it. And Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to sing a great song. If you have a decision to make, let's make it.